may not want to put that one in the episode. <laughs> I did not see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> that one may get edited out. Maybe. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> Welcome to season five. Yeah, big old season five. Jesus. Woot woot. I'm surprised you can even count that high. <laughs> well, I still got five digits on my fingers, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after season 10, I'm going to start struggling. Yeah, exactly. And at season 22, you're going to be really screwed. <laughs> well, this is going to be an interesting episode today, honestly, because I know you don't know a whole lot about Rocky Erickson, do you? No, I've got, I actually have almost zero frame of reference, and that's pretty rare. You know, I at least somewhat have some inclination of what we're going into, but this, the only thing I know is is the psychedelic jams that I've listened to thus far, which really have only given me further, you know, mysteries and questions. <laughs> oh, this episode's going to get insane, trust me, dude. And well, I'm all about that. It's a good way to start the season off, you know, really really get us jamming. Oh, yeah. Well, and to top it all off, I literally just got back from a four-day motorcycle trip, so you know I'm feeling a little loosey-goosey. Oh, yeah. Well, rub it in. Rub it in, Ian. <laughs> I just got off of my whatever normal stuff that I have to do, non-exciting motorcycle trip stuff. Well, you know, some of us live more exciting lives. Oh, yes, you're, you are quite radical, if you ask Ian. <laughs> I'm such a rebel. <laughs> uh, who else might be a rebel? Uh, is it Rocky Erickson? Well, why don't we find out? Oh, that was such a smooth transition. Check that out. Season five, I, guys. I know, we're, we're actually getting somewhat okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Rocky Erickson was born Roger Kennard Erickson. Wait, Kennard is his middle name? Yeah, so it's spelled K-Y-N-A-R-D. That's kind of a cool name, even though it's, like, weird. He was born in Dallas, Texas on July 15th, 1947. And he kind of had an upbringing in the low end of Austin's middle class because they would end up moving to Austin eventually. But they got the name Rocky by taking the first two letters of his first name and his middle name. Oh, that makes sense. I guess, yeah, I see, Rocky. And, that, and that's why it's spelled R-O-K-Y. Oh, that's actually pretty inventive, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and at least there's, like, some reasoning for the name, too. Yeah, for the crazy spelling rather than yeah. just spelling something weird for the sake of it. He was the eldest of five brothers born to his mother, Evelyn, and his father, also called Roger. Maybe another reason why they ended up calling him Rocky. Yeah, that's usually what happens. If you're just named directly after your father, you get a nickname that's a lot different than your first name or just like a similar version. Or they just call him Junior for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, the Ericsons would end up moving to Austin where his dad, Roger, a civil engineer and architect, would end up designing and building a home on Arthur Lane in South Austin. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Self-designed and self-architect home, huh? Yeah. 
His mother was an amateur singer and a devout fundamentalist who supported her son's musical talents. That always helps. Support always helps. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if it, the people around you approve of what you're doing, it usually means that you're going to do it. Well, you might question some of her support later on. Let's we'll get to that. Oh though. yeah. Well, I mean, you, you already <laughs> threw in the the other portion of it, so I'm sure there's going to be some issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. So she would end up putting him in piano lessons at the age of four, and a few years later, she'd end up taking guitar lessons herself, and then she would run home and teach him the stuff she learned. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. But like I said, she was an amateur singer, and she'd end up singing with the University of Texas Opera Workhouse. She won an Arthur Godfrey talent contest in 1957, singing the aria of La Traviata. Ooh, I have no idea what that is, but that sounds fancy and operatic. Well, so an aria is a self-contained piece of music for like a solo voice, usually accompanied by an orchestra. In opera, arias mostly appeared during like a dramatic pause in action when the characters were reflecting on their emotions. Ooh, so it's like one of those like it, I don't know, like those moments where the tone changes and it's like introspective kind of. It's yeah. Like, oh yeah. I think I know what you're talking about, and I've never only I've only seen like maybe two or three operas in my entire life. So yeah, I had to actually look that up because neither of us are uh, know what the fuck's going on in an opera. Yeah, but that that was that was Johnny on the spot. You, you knew I would call you out on asking what it was, so you just I already it up had it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm learning. I'm learning. Season five, bitches. Yeah, season five, bitches. <laughs> we don't have to pause for a few minutes for Ian to look up my ridiculous question. <laughs> now I got to delete this big area. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyways. And so the next year after that, she'd end up releasing her own single of Oh Holy Night on a local label. Ooh. Yeah, getting all sexy with her yeah. Christmas song. Oh Holy Night. And of course, she would end up singing in a church choir, and that also meant Rocky and his brothers would end up singing <laughs> in a choir, too. <laughs> yeah. Mom's doing it. You're doing it. Well, here's the thing, though. They were a quote-unquote devout believers, and... Evelyn would say that when Rocky had broken a leg, her prayer group healed him. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. It, that, it, spoilers, ladies and gentlemen, it probably wasn't them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, but probably not. Well, to quote Rocky Erickson on his mom, he'd say, my mom always encouraged everybody to sing. She'd say, if you're not going to do anything constructive around the house, the least you could do is sing. Sing a happy song. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. You can get out of chores just by singing. Oh, yeah, I'd, right. <laughs> I would have never done that. I don't feel like fucking, doing yeah. that. La, 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 la. <laughs> don't mind me, Mom. I'm just going to go sit on the piano. But I ask you to, la, da, da, sorry, I can't hear you. Do, do, do. <laughs> Too busy singing. Can you please get the garbage for me, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you're cooking dinner. <laughs> I'm going up to my room to do stuff. <laughs> She'd be in so much trouble. Oh, man. Well, and so George Kinney, this name will come up a few times while we're doing this. Uh, he was a boyhood friend of Rocky and also an Austin musician. And he remembers how the neighborhood kids loved to go to the Ericsons, where the rules weren't as strict as other homes. To quote another friend who's not named, 
He'd say, the Erickson's house was often a mess. Clothes everywhere, kids running amok, and Evelyn would be painting a mural across the living room wall. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, so, I mean, she was pretty liberal in the way she raised her kids. Yeah, clearly. Like, 60s liberal, too. Well, and here's the thing. His dad, you know, like I said, was an architect, but he was also a hard drinker, and he was not the biggest fan of the way she raised the kids sometimes. To quote George Kenney, he'd say, Rocky feared his father. We all feared his father. He was real sarcastic, very disapproving of Evelyn's liberal ways of raising the kids. Oh, so he'd probably like come in and make like snide remarks or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> fucking bitch. Goddamn it. Fucking raising my kids to be fucking long haired. God damn it. <laughs> and of course, the only responsible response to you not liking the way somebody else is raising your children is to get drunk and not do so yourself, of course. Well, and be angry about it, yeah, obviously. Anger is always the best option if you're... Especially when you're drinking. Yes, when, you, when you're drunk and angry, uh, that's the best way to raise children, I hear. Well, it is. In fact, that's one of our uh, new tips for the <laughs> <Yeah>. season. <laughs> Dude, when raising your children, be drunk and angry yeah. all the time. Yeah, make sure to just be a complete dick fucker who's going to be a piece of shit and, you know, change the rest of their life because you're pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the dude check out this song tip for raising your children. Yeah. <laughs> dude, check out this how to raise your children bad. <laughs> How to raise a musician. <laughs> well, if they're going to be a musician worth a the shit, they're going to need just a little bit of PTSD. So you better get that in early. <laughs> it's best if you do it with a really young child. That way they have a long time to brood on it and mature. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that way they can write a million hit songs about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But not too early. You don't want them to be broken before they're ready. Well, and so... Kenny even remembers Roger coming home in the wee hours one night when he and Rocky, who were growing their hair long because of the Beatles, were awake and reading comic books. Rocky's father called his son out and cut his hair. Oh, shit. And this is the start of people not liking his long hair. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, it's a theme for a little while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... Rocky really did love comic books and horror movies, and they would influence him along with his uh, mother's, you know, liking of fire and brimstone. This would really, like, create a great foundation for his songwriting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's some extreme thought process there, and also some uh, a little bit of imagery thrown in there. Oh, yeah. And musically, he was drawn to, like, basically the cornerstone of rock and roll and R&B artists, like, Buddy Holly. Yeah. Little Richard. Woo. And James Brown, who we haven't done an episode oh, on. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I know. I was hoping for the third one. I move. was almost three for three. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a couple of years. We won't be able to mention anybody's references without already have done it. Right. And then he heard Bob Dylan. And by 1965, Rocky and George were playing guitars down on the drag, a section of Guadalupe Street that borders the University of Texas with a tip jar at their feet. Hell yeah. <laughs> you, listen to Buddy, you listen to Bob Dylan one time and you're busking, yeah. dude. That's just the way it is, though. And I didn't have to use any cheesy gags to try and get Bob Dylan in yeah, this episode either. He's completely referenced. <laughs> And it was here he would discover marijuana. Oh, no, not the dreaded marijuana. <laughs> Ruining his life already. God. And I got a quote from George Kinney about this time. And he'd say, he started getting his confidence, 
We were all stumbling around trying to find what we wanted to do. He found his spot. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he, he kind of found his niche right away. Oh, yeah. Rocky wanted to play music. And get this. I put it in my notes as three weeks, but I read it anywhere from one month to one week. He left high school three weeks shy of his graduation. <laughs> and it's unclear whether he dropped out or was kicked out, but his mom said he was booted for having long hair. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking long hairs, Fucking man. Fucking long hairs, man. <laughs> can't, there was, there was you like can't a, trust him. Yeah, there's like a certain 60s era where you were literally just the worst piece of shit if your hair was too long. It, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is up with that, dude? And so he joined a local group called The Spades, and they would even record and release a permanent version of a song that he wrote that he would eventually get famous with called You're Gonna Miss Me. Oh, shit. But he'd get famous with another band. Yeah. <laughs> the Spades were like, oh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and now Rocky found himself at kind of the budding of the counterculture and music scene at the University of Texas. They'd have rock bands and folk musicians and, you know, they'd be writing songs, smoking weed and, you know, taking psychedelics, which is funny because apparently in Texas at the time, Pot was illegal, possession was a felony, and a joint could get you 20 years, while psychedelics like LSD and peyote were still legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fine past. I say that <laughs> laughing, but pretty recently, before we were just recorded this podcast, Oregon just decriminalized literally every drug. So, right. so I was like, oh, the past, but no, I mean, I guess that's, yeah. <laughs> oh, legalized drugs. Or, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I agree. <laughs> and so it was here at the University of Texas where Rocky would find a psychology student named Tommy Hall. And Tommy Hall loved LSD and saw it as the foundation of a new philosophy. Oh, geez. He couldn't play an instrument, but he'd pick up a jug. <clears throat> sorry, an electric jug. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a badass instrument. <laughs> and you could hear him on the recordings, too, and it just goes... <laughs> and he just tries to follow the key of the song, too. It's hilarious. That's Which, literally what it sounds like. When you guys listen to these songs, you'll just hear that, that slight in the background which is really strange because if you ever heard like a normal joke it's usually just like womp 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 yeah exactly <laughs> i don't know how he's making a but whatever he's doing it must be a modulation or something well and if you look at the videos the uh little electronic thing he has on it's right at the beginning so i'm pretty sure he's just making noises through the jug and it's reverberating through there and giving it the sound yeah, exactly. And then, well, I mean, it would be easy enough to make it like make that like click a click or, or like the kind of that uh, like oscillation tone because you just put a couple of conflicting pedals on there and you're going to get some weird tones and all you got to do is input just a little bit of noise. So. Right. And Tommy Hall would also end up writing a bunch of the lyrics for this band that he was starting. Yeah. And, you know, seeing the spades, he thought that Rocky showed a lot of promise. And so he recruited him for his super group with uh -oh. super philosophy truer living through chemicals <laughs> <laughs> oh the 60s and to quote him on getting rocky erickson to join his band he'd say i told him i wanted to do what dylan was doing playing rock music but with serious lyrics i told him about what i was learning with lsd and he became really interested 
He agreed to join me in forming a new rock group. And you know what that group was called? What? 13th Floor Elevator. Which is just such a fucking badass name. Like, well, And it's taken after the fact that, you know, a lot of hotels... Yeah, don't ha- the, do not the, have the 13th floor, yep. yeah. And to quote Rocky on the name, he'd say... If you want to get to the 13th floor, ride our elevator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's some psychedelic groovy shit, man. It's so cheesy and so awesome at yeah, the same exactly. time. That, is some, you, that was rehearsed. You could tell. He, he, he wrote that down somewhere and was saving it for that moment. <laughs> Actually, interesting thing about the 13th floor elevators. I didn't know this. They almost had Janis Joplin play with them. But, like play in the band? Yeah, like sing for him. Oh, that'd have been cool. Then she could have. Oh man. Yeah, but she ultimately decided to go to San Francisco. Of course. Start her own music. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. She was more <laughs> famous on her own, and she was able to, you know, you know, find more graves that weren't marked and put headstones <laughs> there. So. Well, to be fair, the thirteenth floor elevators didn't get famous till long, like real, real, true famous till long after their time was up. You know. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of uh, weird psychedelic bands kind of had their multiple resurgences. Just like every decade, people kind of have a re-interest, right. you know, a dip in, of in interest in the like psychedelic 60s stuff. Well, this is one of those bands that influenced a lot of people. And so when people found out that all these musicians they liked were interested in this band, you know, then the, the people like, oh, they like them. They must be good. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the basis of why we do this podcast. Exactly. To, to find out who the musicians that we love are interested in. And then we also looked into the, the you know, the, we, we just follow the interest chain all the way back until, you know, recorded time stops. And so, like I said, Rocky Erickson was the lead singer and guitarist. Rocky would write most of the music, but Tommy would write the words and kind of set the tone of the group. He saw the elevators as missionaries and he insisted they take acid only the best before every show. Oh, my God. Yeah, and sometimes they would even play on other hallucinogens like DMT or mescaline. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how the fuck you could do that live. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say their music probably wasn't that consistent. (laughs) I'm going to say, like, when you you, you probably get, you know, different versions of the same song every night just because I can only, I don't know, I, I... I've done my, you know, my fair share of hallucinogens. You know, I'm not like a crazy hallucinogen person, but I could not imagine trying to like play my pre-scripted songs on a stage in front of a bunch of people while like <laughs> in that state of mind. That's that right. Seems... That, just, that just blows my mind, especially like with DMT. How the f- you're in like fucking space yeah. at that point. You're not even on Earth when you take that shit. Well, yeah, and I, I, the high is so short on DMT. I'm like, I wonder if they're doing it on stage and the bass player just like lays on the stage for like five minutes and then gets back just up. talks to himself. <laughs> but after a while, he starts getting back up, because drinks a little bit of water, starts playing again. <laughs> Whoa, man. Well, and so the Elevators would quickly become, like, the most popular band in Austin. they draw hundreds of people to clubs like the Jade Room. Nobody had ever seen a group like this. They would talk about freeing your mind while other bands sang about cars and girls. They wrote their own songs while other bands were covering Louie Louie. <laughs> and, of course, they made a weird ticka, ticka, ticka sound. <laughs> 
And whatever that ticket, ticket, ticket is, I'm in. Ticket, 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 And someone who would end up becoming an executive for Warner Bros., he would talk about seeing this band, you know, before he was an executive. He'd say, he was the most electric performer I'd ever seen. That includes Hendrix. He was possessed. So vivid and mesmerizing. His voice was so sharp and cutting. Sometimes he'd get lost in his screams. Wow, that's the... (laughs) That's to, a good... to, outper- to say he outperformed Hendrix, that's a... Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a reference there. Like, if somebody says, you, I've seen Hendrix, and this dude is better, or, you know, like, more, like, I don't know, what is that, like, immersed, I guess, is yeah. the best word? Well, and like, that's coming from a guy who became an executive for Warner Brothers. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it makes sense. I don't think a lot of, like, the recordings probably do uh, justice for what this guy's shows were like. Yeah, uh, you're probably right about that, you know. I'm sure there's some wildness to it. Unfortunately, you know, I don't have a time machine and can't go back in time and see some of these shows. Yeah, oh, my God. If we did, dude, they would, this podcast wouldn't be a little bit better. I think if we had a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> it would be all recordings of Ill- illegally taped live sets that we did back in yeah, the well, You can't copyright <laughs> this. I recorded it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my cell phone, dude. I just recorded it. <laughs> exactly. Here's me taking a, a selfie with... <laughs> Oh, yeah, we'd screw the whole past up just for our own enjoyment. I'm sorry, guys. In, in in advance for the fact that everything that we ever make off this podcast is getting funneled right into our time machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we ever do get a time machine, musical history is certainly going to be fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm going to invent both rock and roll and all the other cool genres I like somehow <laughs> simultaneously. And somehow some of your least favorite rock stars are going to mysteriously end up dead huh? <laughs> Whoa, jesus am i like a time traveling assassin now because i mean that's not a that i mean that's not the worst description i i'll, I'll be a time traveling assassin that sounds kind of cool pat the time traveling assassin <laughs> dude check out this time traveling assassination <laughs> this podcast has gone way off the rails in season five i apologize to all of you oh don't do that that's why they're still here <laughs> <laughs> So in early 1966, the Elevators would record a new version of You're Gonna Miss Me for Contact, a small Houston label. Contact then sold it to International Artists, another small Houston label, but a little bit bigger, you know, and they would end up releasing it that spring. That song would become a regional hit. And so because of that song becoming a regional hit, they ended up getting a deal with International Artists Records to release an album. And so that same year, they released their debut album, The Psychedelic Sounds of the 13th Floor Elevators. That was their album name? Yeah, and that was the first time psychedelic was ever used to describe this music. Oh, sweet. That's yeah. badass. So it was kind of like They genre. literally coined the term. So it was genre defining. It wasn't hokey. Oh, no. This was definitely genre defining. That is fucking super cool. I'm actually like. I, 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 at first, I was like, "That's a dumb album name," but then, like, when you when you said that's the first time psychedelic had been used, I'm like, "I take that back." They just they made that. <laughs> they literally coined an entire genre. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and on this album, they would of course have "You're Gonna Miss Me," that would ultimately end up peaking at 55 on the Billboard Hot 100. Fire Engine, and then they redo a Spade song that he wrote that was called "We Sell Soul," and they would retitle it to. Don't Fall Down, uh, they'd have the song Reverberation, 
Uh, that's a good jam right yeah, there. Yeah, in parentheses, doubt. Oh. <laughs> and then they'd have Splash One. Yeah, also another super good jam. Oh, yeah. Like, they've got some amazing songs. They've got some stuff that you listen to where you're like, don't know if I like this one because they got a little too acidy on that song. So that's one of the things about psychedelic. You know, one of the things that I've never personally really driven into psychedelic for is because of the whole, like, drug culture associated with it. Not that I've even, like, have a negative, like, opinion of drugs or drug culture or anything like that. I just think that a lot of times it becomes kind of self-important, which, you know, then take doesn't take the audience very seriously. Right, but. well, it almost is like that they have to use the drugs to make the music instead of, taking the drugs to improve the music. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like heavy psychedelic where you have to be like tripping balls to, to like enjoy the to song. Even, yeah, to even enjoy the song. Like that's a little too much, but I don't feel like the 13th Floor Elevators fall into that very often. Well, like, especially their first album. Like their first album's pretty like straightforward, like garage rock, essentially. Yeah, it's it, it really is, well done. It's garage psychedelic rock. garage rock. Yeah. Even, even if the term psychedelic wasn't termed until they termed it, it, it's, you know, a heavy psychedelic garage rock versus kind of there is like that. I want to say like motorcycle rock garage rock that was also kind of paralleled to it at the same time. Well, and actually the psychedelic sounds of the 13th floor elevators is a really kick-ass album. There's only really one song I don't like on this album. It's the one I mentioned that was reworked from his old band, The Spades, called Don't Fall Down, which is why it's not going to be on my first dude check out this song. Oh, shit. You're going to miss me. Fire Engine, Reverberation, and Splash One. All super good songs. Oh, dude, they're fucking kick-ass jams. And so here's the thing. It was hard to be a hippie in Texas in 1966. <laughs> <laughs> Especially a popular one. <laughs> it's hard to be anything but a, a hardcore Texan in Texas ever. <laughs> uh, Texas is changing nowadays. Yeah, no, Texas is definitely definitely making a change nowadays. And, uh, you know, ha hasn't always been the same. But in general, Texas is not considered uh, one of the more accepting places in our country. And, of course, the police were not exactly happy about having a gang of long-haired rock stars and, you know, they'd begin shadowing the group and eventually busting them for pot. Oh, no. Well, that's a serious thing yeah, in Texas. He, we were talking earlier about the crime yeah. or the punishments at that time. They are not fucking around with punishing you for weed. And so IAs, which is international artists, Leland Rogers, who is actually the brother of country star Kenny Rogers, <laughs> would once say, and I quote, the police declared war on the elevators in Texas. Oh, geez. Started, like, fucking following them around and, you know, doing extra. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just going to give you guys this warning right now. Everything that I'm talking about right now between this until we get to their second episode, this all happens at the same time while they're trying to record this album. Oh, really? So it's all kind of just like a parallel thing? Yeah. Like, when they would first record We're Going to Miss You, and then in between, you know, before they actually get the full album out, it, it was a packed year for them. Yeah. And so, yeah, the crazy thing is, is like the cops would search the band's equipment before and after shows in Baytown. The police dismantled the group's gear in the parking lot looking for drugs and local kids had to lend the musicians their amps to quote Rocky's high school friend Terry Moore, which I will mention him a few more times in this. He'd say 
The police thought people like Rocky were out to take over the government and corrupt their children. Oh my God, they're yeah, doing LSD. <laughs> Meanwhile, these hippies couldn't even get <laughs> off the stage. They're like they're like barely cognizant, slapping on a drum. These guys are not taking over any country. They're taking over a couch after this. Like <laughs> <laughs> they're taking over their mo- own minds. Yeah, exactly. Like fuck, guys. Like this ain't no communist conspiracy. Look at this. This shit well and so the elevators ended up kind of lucking out with the pot arrest you know because of the serious penalty in texas they could have done some crazy prison time for it but because of a judge's error all went free or were put on probation oh hell yeah and so in august the elevators went to san francisco and found another counterculture because let's be honest you know, even though these all were kind of going on at the same time, they really didn't know a whole lot about each other because they didn't have the internet. Yeah, there was no there was no ripe connection as there is now. They they were all kind of isolated groups, and of course, you get the fuck out of Texas after that. And so the elevators are quite interesting for everybody in San Francisco. They were loud. They've been busted, and wildest of all, they played on LSD. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm sure that it, there's a lot of like a uh, I don't know like interesting like there's a lot of draw to that you know what i mean it's a well especially at the time because lsd at the time was like the drug like it was popular and people were still under the like oh it like raises your mind to in like another world yeah that was still like it's gonna like change the world bro yeah exactly well and supposedly bands like the grateful dead who actually formed shortly after the elevators played their first show in san francisco i guess they didn't take lsd while they played well, yeah, I would assume not taking LSD while you play. Like, that's there. you keep those things separate. Right. I just kind of always assumed because they were so synonymous with LSD that they did it on stage. I guess the elevators kind of, you know, blew people's minds about the fact that they played on LSD. <laughs> yeah, that is, I mean, that is a fucking feat. Regardless of the morality of it, like, playing on LSD like that is fucking ridiculous. Like, any sort of heavy hallucinogen that you're, like, having trouble even focusing and then still somehow playing a set of music, I mean, that's at least, that's a durability test, I guess. I don't know how you could do it. I can't play guitar on a small amount of shrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have too many beers and I have to start worrying about not being able to, like, do my songs correctly. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, like, getting all fucked up on hallucinogens. And so, you know, with the psychedelic sounds being a, you know, a good seller, I don't know if it was like, you could call it a huge hit or yeah, whatever. It's not, it's not a smash hit or but anything like that. But it definitely like sold well in the, in that counterculture scene. The group started working on a follow-up Easter everywhere, what they would call an LSD concept record. So this is where you get a little bit more of their like LSD trippy songs. And they would end up replacing the original rhythm section. And so it's Tommy and Rocky just taking a shitload of acid and writing an album. (laughs) That's awesome. The album would be released in 1967. I don't have an exact date, but they would end up having like songs like Slip Inside This House, which is the first song on the album. And it's over eight minutes long. And like live, they would just like play it for more than 10 minutes and just like do like all sorts of crazy time lengths to it all the time. Like they, this one, they definitely played differently every time. Yeah, it was one of those uh, like kind of a... It was definitely like a jam, jam band. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, jam <laughs> band kind of concept song. Well, and then, you know, they would do a cover of Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. 
which is a fantastic song on by both versions. I mean, the the, the psychedelic version is psychedelic as fuck. Guys. Yeah, it's like you got to be in the right mood to listen to that one. Yeah, but uh, they're both fantastic songs. And then they'd have a track on it called I've Got Levitation. Levitation. No, that's not the song I know. <laughs> and so this brings me to my next dude. Check out this song. I've got Slip Inside This House. I've got Levitation. And do you think I should put It's All Over Now, Baby Blue yes, on? Yes, okay. put it on there. It's and All the, Over Now. And the Bob Dylan version. <laughs> and the Bob Dylan and version. And the Bob Dylan version. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have an episode where we could actually have our own Bob Dylan dude check out this. I mean... If we did a Whoa. Bob Dylan episode, wouldn't it Whoa. all just be, dude, check out this song? Like, Whoa. nothing else? Whoa, guys. We'd just be like, oh, dude, you got to check out this song. We maybe will do a Bob Dylan episode maybe. this season. Maybe. Because it's the 60s this season, so I don't know, guys. We talk about Bob Dylan a lot, but we try to avoid, like, you know, top tier mainstream. But, you know, it's a, it's a whole new world. It's, you know, the end of 2020. Let's, let's see what we can do. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. And so around this time, Rocky would kind of start going off the rails. He ingests whatever pills were offered to him, and he wouldn't even ask what they were. To quote his friend George Kinney, he'd say he had to live up to his status as the weird psychedelic mutant. That would be a rough status quo to keep up with. I gotta uh, say, like, people just fucking handing you, like, weird pills and shit. Like, ugh. And, and, then, and then because you are supposed to, you're just gonna be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that just that sounds dangerous and weird, and I, I don't know. <laughs> I think if like if you're gonna do any like drugs like that, do it in like a controlled like area with a controlled dose, knowing exactly what you're doing and doing it correctly. Like, don't wander around randomly taking drugs like a fucking crazy person, man. Yeah, don't, 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 don't do it. <laughs> Like, oh, there's just nothing safe about that. I'm not going to say don't do LSD, but also don't like do LSD before you play. Don't do it every day. You know, <laughs> really use it as a very occasional thing because it definitely can fry you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I think most people in the modern era already know that where most of the people can like look at people who are really fucked up on like, you know, that LSD burn, like did LSD too many times and you right. can just tell like, oh, yeah, you like it's like that it's like a long term like meth user or something you just look at them or talk to them for a few moments and you're like oh my god this is barely a person and i don't i don't mean that negatively to anybody who has you know recovered from any addictions or anything like that but i mean like it does change you as a person it really does it It, really like fucks you up like even pot can fuck you up too yeah no absolutely like a lot of people who use too often or don't I, I don't even know if it's like using too often. It's not having other things that they're about. You know what I mean? Right. If, well, just pot in and of itself, like all of our brains are different. So some people just don't, you know, react the same way to pot. Like everybody's yeah, like, no, exactly. pot's innocent. It's like not always. Yeah, no, exactly. And it, nothing is innocent if you use it improperly. If you don't do anything else with your life and you don't, I don't know, make something of yourself and you're just doing X, you know, whatever. Like drinking, smoking, anything, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. If you don't do 
regular life stuff, you're failing. It doesn't matter what the what yeah. you're doing. It doesn't matter how experienced you are and what you're learning about the universe. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if you're hooked on water for all I care. If you're <laughs> abusing water on a daily basis and not getting your life done, you're still an idiot and doing it wrong. You like, got to inject water straight into the veins. That's oh, how you hydrate man. yourself faster. I, I just I, at first I was taking it straight from the sink, and then before I knew it, man, <laughs> I had a vaporizer by my bed. <laughs> An example of Rocky Erickson abusing LSD would happen in a November 1967 concert in Houston. He was afraid to walk on stage because he didn't want people to see the third eye in the middle of his forehead. (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the precipice of why you don't make a band based on doing a bunch of LSD. (laughs) (laughs) He's lucky he had fucking pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it gets worse. And so the drummer at the time, John Ike Walton, would say about these times, it got so bad, Rocky wouldn't even sing. He would just sit there with his back to the audience and his amplifier squealing. Oh, yeah, that must be entertaining as fuck for the how audience. How fucking annoying would that show be? Dude, I would be pissed. Like, I don't care about, like, how cool and LSD'd out my whole culture is. If I just stand in the front row and you squeal reverb in my face, I'm going to be fucking annoyed after a couple minutes. Yeah. And so even though the band would complain that they never made any money beyond a weekly $50 salary from IA, they would scramble to make a third album. Problem is, both Tommy and Rocky we're basically just out of their fucking minds at this point. Yeah, no, 50 bucks a week is lucky for him at that point. The bassist would say he was a vegetable. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of the quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a comma. That's the period. That's the end. (laughs) That's the end. (laughs) I'm sitting here like waiting for you to finish that. Like, nope, just he's a vegetable. The end. (laughs) like fuck man (laughs) well and rocky would actually only sing a handful of songs on this album this album that would be called bull of the woods it's not a great album i got excited because i found it in a record shop and i bought it and i listened to it i'm like this is not the 13th floor elevators i know yeah you're like this oh my god this is bad (laughs) it was not so there's not going to be any dude check out the songs from this album oh wow you we have straight disrespected them because you know we usually at least try to add one or two from each album but nah if it's that bad it i have i own the thing and i just can't listen to it (laughs) oh man and that's one of the things like you know drug cultures you know you can say whatever you want about how deep it is but if i don't if i have to be on drugs to enjoy your music you're not being more deep no the the end like you know what i mean like if you if you take a bunch of lsd and make an album that i can listen to sober and be like have my mind blown i might agree with you in the case where you get all fucked up on LSD and make an album that I barely can listen to and then try and tell me that it's a deep art, I might disagree with you. Well, there's just kind of this point where it's just it just gets to be too much, you know? And it's not even that this album was straight trippy. It's just that the songs just weren't good. Like, because the main writing influences were all, you know, fucked up on LSD and whatever drugs they could get on. You know, and 
and maybe not the drug parallel, but the musical parallel. I don't know about you, but this kind of reminds me of the Neutral Milk Hotel situation, a uh, a modern band that was well known for a lot of their kind of semi psychedelic stuff, but some of the late career or really really early career Neutral Milk Hotel stuff is so hard to listen to that it's not even enjoyable but they're an amazing band that makes some of the best songs ever <laughs> so you know what i mean like but you get some of those songs that are just too self-referential i yeah. guess is what it is like you, you almost have to be part of the inside joke to even get the song or whatever it may be there's definitely kind of this weird like writing point where it seems like they're writing to be trippy and not just to make a good song yeah exactly and anytime you write for a pretense rather than writing for the art you're probably gonna fuck yourself up well and to quote his mom about rocky erickson about this time she'd say he was all wired up and talking gibberish i had to worry about his effect on my other four kids so she'd end up hiring a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist would put rocky on antipsychotic drugs that left him in a stupor Oh, my God. Yeah, that'll help. Yeah, more drugs. Yeah, I'm sure this guy does too many drugs. What'll help? Let's put him on more drugs. These <laughs> ones conflict with the drugs that he takes to make it even worse. Yay! Well, and then she'd eventually hire another doctor to take him off those drugs. He'd enter a private hospital in Houston, but two weeks later, Tommy Hall would help him escape, and the two hitchhiked to California. <laughs> Rocky was free, but the elevators were done. Oh, That's it. That was the end of the elevators, huh? Yep. Such a cool name, the 13th floor elevators. Yeah, and I like that you can shorten it just by calling them the elevators, too. Yeah, no, It's exactly. kind of fun. Yeah, it, it is fun. I, I really like that. And it's like, you know, someone's in the know if it's like you like the elevators. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the elevators, there's no such band name, the elevators, Ian. And then Ian walks away like, I'm at the 13th floor elevators, you dirty bitch. Exactly. You don't know shit about music. I'm Ian. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Let me have my snootiness about music. God damn it. <laughs> In 1969, at a New Year's Eve show at the famous Winterland, Rocky's friend Terry Moore had some quotes from him earlier who was in San Francisco to check out the scene and score some good acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Saw Rocky and George Kinney, and they needed a ride back to Austin. Apparently, it was hard to say no to Rocky. Terry Moore would say, everybody treated him like a god. Nobody would say, Rocky, you need to straighten up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. What are you going to tell him? Is he going to be like, no, the masters of the universe have told me I'm just fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, like if you saw one of your friends who needed help, you would have just been like, oh, you're cool, dude. You would think a good friend would be like, dude, you need to get some fucking help, man. Yeah. Re if, if I'm all fucked up like that, I expect my real friends to call me out on that shit. <laughs> not be like, oh, yeah, sure you go, Messiah. Get in the yeah, truck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and so the three of them, plus three others, loaded into a, a V-Dub bug and headed home. It says bug. I think it, I think it was supposed to mean van again. <laughs> if, it's, if it's six people in a V-Dub bug, what the fuck? I know, dude. How uncomfortable would that That'd shit be? That'd be terrible. Dude? Somebody's in the front. <laughs> and, of course, you know, Rocky was in bad shape, unshaven, didn't have any shoes, was incoherent. Apparently, he'd been doing a ton of speed. Oh, great. Yeah, speed's the worst, guys. Yeah, and of course, when they were passing through Arizona, they decided it'd be a great idea to, you know, whip out the LSD. 
Yeah, because that will help. Yep. And Terry started passing it around. And to quote Terry, he said, I said, Rocky wants him. He grabbed a handful and put it in his mouth, took at least 10 hits. And this was good acid. Soon Rocky was holding one arm and hitting himself with it, yelling, Get out, bad spirit! <laughs> Dude, like, honestly, like, I've done some hallucinogens in my time, as I mentioned earlier, but I've never, like, I've never gotten that fucked up. Like, I've never had any, like, super 60s experience, like, you know, the, the, the quintessential, you know, I don't know, Hunter S. Thompson experiences, I guess it were. I don't know. Uh, it sounds terrible, but uh, I don't know. Whatever, I mean, whatever it's, 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 you know, whatever entertains <laughs> you, I guess. It's interesting, so I like hearing about it. Yeah, no, I don't want to be. Yeah, I, like I don't want to be Rocky Erickson. Yeah, I like hearing about it as in, like, in an interesting perspective sort of situation, but I don't, I don't feel like I ever fi- want to find myself in that point of view. So in February 1969, Rocky was busted for marijuana possession. Allegedly a single joint. Oh, no. And to avoid a long prison term, Erickson pleaded insanity and was eventually sent to the Austin State Hospital to be examined. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia acute, undifferentiated, and put on the antipsychotic drug Haldo. H-A-L-D-O-L? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. What the fuck do you want from me? Come on, Sounds like the (laughs) one flew over the cuckoo's nest sort of situation. Yeah, we're getting there. And in May, he would end up escaping with the help of his girlfriend, Dana Gaines. Apparently, she was not surprised to learn that a week before, another girl tried the same thing. But she and Rocky had been caught. Rocky would end up getting arrested by the police three months later. And because of his constant escape attempts and the actual escaping... Yeah, the actual successful escape attempts. He was sent to Rusk State Hospital, a facility that housed the criminally insane in East Texas. Oh, it's like Arkham Asylum from Batman is yeah. essentially where he got sent. No, so get this. He would end up be given shock treatment and massive amounts of Thorazine, a drug used to sedate psychotics. Oh, my God. And to quote his time in this facility, he'd say, I was there with people who chopped up people with a butcher knife, and they treat me worse because I had long hair. <laughs> <laughs> that one might just be because of his state of mind. Yeah, there, that's that's so fucked up, dude. Dude, he actually got electroshock th- therapy, though. How fucking crazy is that? That is legitimately one flew over the cuckoo's nest sort yeah. of thing. Like, electroshock therapy and, like, that shit that they did, like, to help the mentally insane, in quotation marks, during the 60s and 70s is so dark i know it it's so, so oh i just can't even hang man I, I i i've done a little bit of research about these fucking situations i just like holy fuck and even though he was in this mental institution he continued to write you know he had a collection of poems from that period called openers that would end up being published in the early 70s and his mother recorded some of his music during the visits And these songs would end up appearing on a 1999 compilation called Never Say Goodbye. And this brings me to my next dude. Check out this song. Be and Bring Me Home. Such a good fucking jam. He literally recorded that in an insane asylum. That's so fucking cool. Like, that that makes a lot of sense with the recording quality, though. Yeah, it definitely does. And I just didn't have time to kind of bust through the whole album, but... 
I figured when I heard that one, I was like, okay, this is one I can bring to Pat. Yeah, I know. That's that's so cool. Like, the whole fucking album is recorded from an insane asylum. Like, in the in the visitor's room or something like that, I would assume. Yeah, something like that. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, and actually, like, most of the songs were about that quality of recording. But, like, then there was other songs where it just sounded like complete dog shit. Yeah. And, like, I, I don't mind, like, that level of recording because me, I'm, like, a I'm a lo-fi, lo-fi guy anyway, so I don't mind when musicians don't have the best recording equipment in the world. But there's also a level where I still have to be able to discern, like, the the, the instrumentation and the rhythm and the, the words. But, yeah, that's so fucking crazy, pun right. not intended there, that he recorded this in an insane asylum. That is a fucking, that is a great, 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 like, piece of cred for the album, though. <laughs> I recorded this shit in an insane asylum. And so in 1970, Rocky's brother, Mike, would end up hiring an attorney, Jim Simmons, to get him out. And Simmons finally got Rocky a trial in 1972. The Austin courtroom was packed as, you know, he was kind of still a celebrity there. And the jury came back in less than 15 minutes and declared Rocky was not a danger to himself or others. He was discharged. Sanity restored. Oh, shit. Rocky's free. Time to do a bunch more LSD. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rocky didn't exactly, you know, get along with the world too well after his experiences. Yeah, that's that's understandable. He, He legitimately had schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you do enough fucked up drugs and you will give yourself schizophrenia. It doesn't matter. Well, here's the thing, and I've got the exact quote later on, but he had schizophrenia. It was a genetic disorder. It was just exacerbated by doing all all the drugs he did. Oh, so his it, one of his parents already suffered from it? I don't know about his parents, maybe someone else in his family. Oh, but it was it was something that was in yeah. his genetic tree. Yeah, so he was going to have schizophrenia no matter what. He just accelerated the growth of it. Yeah, well, that's even worse. Like, if you have the leanings for a particular, like, mental, you know, disease or whatever it may be, and uh, then you do a bunch of drugs, like, that typically, it does, like, you know, zero to 100, that shit. It makes it a lot worse and a lot quicker. Oh, for sure. And so, his old friend Moore, you know, the one who gave him the ride from San Francisco to Austin? Yep. He saw Rocky walking one day and gave him a ride. Rocky didn't seem to recognize him and kept saying the CIA was watching him. You know, and Rocky would try and get the band back together, and they'd play a handful of shows, but things weren't the same. They were still kind of pissed about being ripped off by international artists. Uh, and plus the CIA watching him is probably it makes that whole thing an issue. Well, yeah, that's, that's definitely a problem. And soon, Rocky and Dana Gaines, the chick that helped him break out of the first insane asylum that yeah. got him sent to the even worse one, <laughs> they got married. Oh, yay. Number one. Number one. <laughs> Number one. And at first, he was taking his meds and things were great. Oh, no. Not the another situation like this. At first, he was taking his meds and things were going great, but... Soon he got violent. What? Yeah. This guy? Yeah. Mr. I'm going to tweak out on the... Uh, great. His wife, Dana, recalls, out of the blue, he'd go into rages. I was black and blue. She says that he once attacked her in her sleep. The fuck? Like, shit, dude. That is that is really shitty. Well, and... You were harmless fun before this, man. Come on. Yeah, but first of all, nobody should be marrying him because he's got too much going on in his 
in his head too, <laughs> or not enough, or whatever it is in between there. Like, well, I mean, he, schizophrenia is when you're hearing voices and shit. So yeah, no, I, I don't know. That's that that is fucked up, and it's another situation where you know mental illness improperly handled. Like, yeah. Just because he doesn't need to be in the evil insane asylum doesn't mean that he needs to be free in the world and suddenly getting a wife and, you know, nine to five. Well, like, honestly, he would need like a handler or something because it just 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 to let him roam free, like especially since he has legitimate schizophrenia and his brain's fried from all the LSD took in like three years. It's yeah, I'm sorry, but like that shit fucks you up. Yeah. Th- he needed help. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I'm saying. Is like he, he needed help that he wasn't getting. And the, the asylums weren't the help that he needed. And freedom wasn't the help that he needed. It's just they went from one to the other. Yeah, exactly. And, like, remember how I told you he wrote a bunch of poems? Yeah. And it would be released in a book called Openers? Mm-hmm. So he'd end up getting a copy of that. And all of his religious poems that were in there, instead of Jesus, he'd cross out and write Satan. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, he's not doing good. But he would stop attacking his wife because he had an affair with a woman named Renee Bayer, and that produced his first child, a girl named Spring. Oh, my God. What a good way to just make a shitty situation worse, bro. Let's just go ahead and bring a kid into the world. Well, and from 1973 to about 1982... He'd bounce between Austin and the Bay Area, and he started playing with a band called the Aliens. You know, it's called Rocky Erickson and the Aliens. Yeah. And he'd start recording songs again. He'd do songs like Starry Eyes, Two-Headed Dog, Bloody Hammer, White Faces, I Walked With a Zombie. You know, a lot of these songs were released on an album called The Evil One, which I owned this on CD for a long time, and... Seriously, no joke. It stayed in my car for about six months. Oh, yeah. It's a legit good album. It's a really good album, which is surprising to realize that it came out after this point. Well, right. Now he's doing all the horror theme stuff and all that kind of shit. So I think between, you know, his love of like horror movies and horror comics and the fact that he literally lived through a nightmare. (laughs) Put him in a good frame of reference for that. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so this brings me to my next dude. Check out this song. Oh, and we got starry eyes, two headed dog, bloody hammer, white faces. My personal favorite Rocky Erickson song, honestly. And I kind of think it's also semi about his stay in the insane asylum. The lyrics are kind of a little weird, but I think just the way he references like white faces and he'll talk about like white robes and stuff like that. I think it's a reference to the insane asylum. Yeah, and how, I mean, honestly, there's no way to really know unless there's some confirmation out there of what his inspiration was. But right. It's interesting to, especially in these psychedelic works, to try and look into the deeper parts and see where something might have come from. Well, and then we've got I Walked With a Zombie, too. Let's not forget that one. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense because if you're in an insane asylum, there's going to be a lot of zombies around you. Well, and so Rocky would kind of start believing he was an alien from Mars. He claimed to have legal documents to prove it and that you're going to miss me really meant you're going to miss a Martian E. I, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, honestly, he's making some kick-ass music, but you're going to miss, miss a Martian E. Yeah. M meant for Martian M for Martian. Yeah. When you're going to miss me. It's spelled 
M-A-R-T-I-N space E, the letter E. <sighs> You're going to miss Martian E. Yeah. A friend once asked him where his melodies came from. He paused and said, the very best ones are sent from heaven by Buddy Holly. <laughs> the, the rest take the better part of an afternoon to rip off. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an amazing quote. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I figured you'd like that one. That is the best quote we may have ever had on the show. <laughs> By 1979, Dana would end up divorcing him, you know. Yeah, because he's a, he's a fucking brutal, crazy person who's well, talking to Martians or whatever. <laughs> well, he also stopped taking his medicine. And she started worrying about how how his antics were affecting their three-year-old son. Yeah, a reasonable, reasonable uh, issue. Yep, and so she'd drive Rocky from San Francisco to Austin and left him with his mom, Evelyn. Apparently, Rocky would end up being discovered by some local punk bands, and he'd end up playing with a couple punk bands, one called The Records, with a star between re and chords. And then and it's probably spelled like a chord, like a yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, C O R D S. Oh, so it's not spelled like a oh records. Chord. Sorry. Oh, yeah, the records. Well, that, but I was just thinking. I was chord, thinking chords like C H O R D. Yeah, I think that's my, the way my brain interpreted it while I was reading it. But then I retook a look at it, and it's oh, oh, the records. Yep. Then he'd play in a new wave band called the Explosives. And I fucking tried to find these songs. I really did. He couldn't find anything? I couldn't find anything. Huh. They must not have been very good if you can't find anything, if I'm being honest, though. Probably not. In 1980, he'd make his first solo album, and its title was really just like a bunch of runic symbols. <laughs> <laughs> Another one I tried to find, and I, I think I found some of the songs from there, but it's a little unsubstantiated because records kind of were all over the place, so... You know, it's just kind of hard to find the right ones I was looking at. Yeah. So I won't be giving any dude check out the songs for that one, but try and find it for me, people. But yeah, this would be released for CBS in England, where he actually did have a devoted following. Like, for some reason, England really liked all the Americans coming over at the time, like between well, the we, 50s and 60s. We've talked about this so many times. Like, there was a, between like the 50s, 60s, 70s, there's a whole like, reverb where american music has like a pulse of something that's popular and then within like probably a few years then or sometimes even closer to a decade then all of a sudden western europe would get a pulse of the same thing and then eastern europe would get a pulse of the same thing a few years later leading some to some really cool shit because if we didn't have that we wouldn't have some of the really cool and interesting bands we have like the red elvises right because, you know, that's a that's a really interesting band. If you guys have never heard of it, just go check it out. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, like, talking about them. We may do an episode someday about them or something, but... If you do check them out, look at their early stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely do. As with any band, usually. <laughs> usually. And so, when Rocky first moved in with his mother, you know, he was taking his meds. But as soon as he started feeling better, he'd get off his medication and start taking speed and other drugs that his friends gave him. He'd end up marrying a former bartender named Holly Patton, and he'd have a daughter named C-Y-D-N-E. Sydney? <laughs> yeah. S Sydney? <laughs> S Sydney? 
Oh, is it Sydney? It might it be must Sydney. be Sydney. Yep, Sid- Sydney. <laughs> Sydney. Spelled all weird and ancient Greek-like. <laughs> but, of course, Hollywood ended up leaving, too. And Rocky would end up having to live with friends. Well, and CBS would reject a second album from him. But small U.S. and European labels would release various studio and live bootleg albums. Many of these would be recorded and released by Rocky's friends. Oh, shit. And so, in 1987, Rocky ended up playing his last, like, full show for years, or maybe even, like, full, full shows at Austin's Ritz Theater. And this, too, would eventually be released on a live album. And at the end of the show, you can hear Rocky calling out to his audience, Thank you, thank you. I rather enjoyed the show. Thank you for playing tonight. Like, I feel bad for laughing, but dude, Jesus Christ, man. Thank you for playing tonight. No, you were the band, dude. Yeah. Some part of me wants to be like, oh, that must be satire. He must un- he must be self-referentially making a joke. But at this point, I don't think I'm confident in that. I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. That's That's a little sad. In 1989... Rocky would end up facing federal charges for stealing his neighbor's mail. His mom ended up moving him to a federally subsidized housing in Southeast Austin. And Rocky would share a mailbox with two other tenants, including a friend of his. Rocky would collect the mail for all three and take it to his friends, you know, and would distribute it whoever it needed to go to. Right. Well, when his friend moved out, Rocky continued to collect the mail for all three addresses Around Christmas, a new tenant figured out why she wasn't getting any mail and called the police, who found it unopened and tacked to the wall near Rocky's front door. And because of the fact that it was unopened, he didn't end up getting any charges, you know, didn't get convicted of any charges. But, you know, you can definitely see him, like, really losing his mind. Yeah, that's, that is super fucking sad because you can, like, he's not even trying to do anything wrong. He's literally just collecting mail for people and, like, he's just so fried he doesn't even live in the real world. Right. Anymore. He doesn't know that he's doing anything wrong. That is, that is very sad. He was really just being looked after by his mother, who believed his mental afflictions were best addressed by prayer. And as a result of all this prayer she'd been doing, Rocky State further deteriorated. At one point, his teeth had rotted to the extent that an abscess nearly infected his brain. What the fuck? Jesus. Yeah. Just like praying the gay away. Not really going to happen, right? Yeah. And like (laughs) fucked up abscesses in your mouth can really fuck you up, too. Like you're already fucked up from a bunch of LSD and then you're getting like toxics or from just like an abscess in your mouth. Like. So, once again, he'd end up in an Austin State Hospital. He's given therapy and medicine for 60 days, then released. He stopped taking his meds. And this is the crazy part. Like, it got to a point where people come over and they'd walk into a bunch of TVs on, radios, stereos, police scanners, just essentially turning into white noise. He would call all this noise his electronic friends, and it was used for hiding the voices in his head so he could sleep. Oh, my God. That's just fucked up, dude. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, my electronic friends, they they, they keep the voices out of my head. Like, this dude wasn't insane, and y'all made him insane. Like, I'm sure the electroshock <laughs> well, therapy had a large portion to do with this, oh, too. Oh, it definitely did, but the fact that 
him and, and the extended drug use. I, extended not, drug use, yeah. but also the fact that his mom wouldn't let him actually like take his drugs. She believed that prayer was the best way to deal with this. Yeah, exactly. And fucking dude, you <laughs> if you're hearing voices, take your medication. Seriously. Like <laughs> Well, and if you want a visual of what this looks like, there was a documentary in two thousand five called You're Gonna Miss Me and you see exactly this. And he's got all this noise down and lays down in bed and is able to sleep. Oh, my God. So there's actual, like, video of it? Yeah. Wow, that is very sad. The 90s, he would kind of get some more recognition and, you know, more money. On Halloween in 1990, an album called Where the Pyramid Meets the Eye was released by Sire, a 19-track compilation of Rocky songs done by the musicians he influenced. These would include R.E.M. and ZZ Top. Holy shit. So, like, all of the people he influenced came to bat and, like, did an album for him? Yeah, and actually, Billy Gibbons was a huge fan of the 13th Floor Elevators. Like, his band before ZZ Top, I think they were called the Moving Sidewalks, was extremely influenced by the 13th Floor Elevators. Wow. that That's such a weird inspiration train, because you don't think of ZZ Top being connected to psychedelic bands at all. No, not at all, but... You know, Billy Gibbons grew up in the the Austin music scene, and they were the biggest band at the time. Yeah, makes sense. It really does. And especially just like the eras match up, too, even if the genres don't. Well, and so because of this, there were several trusts set up to organize Rocky's finances. The attorneys were hired by his mom, working pro bono. And this began a 10-year battle to get back royalties from international artists. They claimed that the band had sold many records, but none of the members received any royalties from the label. Well, that's true, because the, they were always talking about earlier, but the band was living on $50 salaries and nothing yep. else. And at the urging of his friends, Rocky would begin playing live again, you know, like birthday parties and like at the Austin Music Awards. But he ended up playing the same four songs in every appearance. And during one performance, when Rocky forgot the words to one of his songs, his friend Bill Bentley would say, I realized that he had no business being up there and I might have helped push him up there. Oh, okay. That's actually double extra sad. And so he didn't end up having like handlers, I guess you could call them people who would like, along with dealing with all the noise in his house, you know, they'd help him with getting mail. They'd take him out to dinner, drive him around, you know, and take him over to his mom's place. I guess the one place he could actually relax and, you know, just marvel at the way he saw the world. But his youngest brother, Sumner, who actually kind of had a music career of his own at the age of 18, he earned a spot playing tuba for the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. He decided to try and get Rocky Erickson back on medication. But, of course, Evelyn, their mother, didn't want to hear it. And, really, Rocky didn't either. They didn't trust doctors. Can you really blame them for the way he was treated in the 60s? Yeah, no, 70s? for sure. Like, it doesn't have a religious element for Rocky at that point. I don't think I would trust doctors after all that. But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, this dude needs, he needs medication. So, in 2001, Sumner would end up winning a long court battle and was granted legal custody of his brother. He'd start untangling a lot of his business affairs, you know, making sure... His money's actually going to the right place. And he would start addressing his schizophrenia. He'd end up admitting him to the Shoal Creek Hospital where he got two weeks of medical, dental, and psychological exams. Again, 
he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And to quote his doctor, he'd say, a biological genetic illness, though perhaps it got sped up by drug use. Yeah. So I, he, no matter what, he would have had schizophrenia. Or the at least, drug use didn't help. Yeah, exactly. Or he was going to be like, you know, the, schizophrenia has so many different versions. He may have not been. He, he probably wasn't lined up for the extremity that he got. The the psychedelics right. themselves. It, it, it definitely probably between that and the electroshock therapy. Yeah, it probably helped exacerbate his schizophrenia. Absolutely. For sure. Like, yeah, any sort of brain trauma like that really will fuck your shit up. In 2008, Erickson ended up collaborating with Mogwai, providing some vocals for the song Devil Rides that appears on the band's Batcat EP. Is it Mogwai like a metal band? I'm not 100% sure. No, they're like a post-rock band, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually listened to any of their music. I'm just going off vague references that I remember. I'm pretty sure I have somewhere along the way because I got into a little post-rock, post-metal phase. Oh, I know. You, you little post-rocker. <laughs> and he would end up releasing a new album called True Love Cast Out All Evil. And that appeared in 2010. And he'd start doing live appearances again. He'd play South by Southwest, you know, that's in Austin, Texas. In 2016, he'd play at the final All Tomorrow's Party Festival in Prestanton, North Wales. <laughs> P-R-S-T-A-T-Y-N. That's it, Prestanton. I don't know. That's, that's good enough for me. Yeah, and the 13th floor elevators would reunite. And they would do live a few live appearances, you know, and so he actually with minus the LSD probably. Yeah, well, I mean, because his brother got him on the medication he needed, he was actually able to start playing shows and stuff. Yeah, again. starting to be a normal person again. Gasp! I know, and you know, actually have some sort of fame because by this point, you know, his songs are pretty legendary among you know, certain circles. Oh yeah. And if he hadn't wasted so much of his time with the rest of it, he definitely probably would have been considerably more famous at this point than he was. Oh yeah. Well, and so on May 31st, 2019, Rocky Erickson would end up dying in Austin, Texas at the age of 71. His passing was made public through a Facebook post by his brother who wrote, my brother Rocky passed away peaceably today. Please allow us time. To date, no cause of death has been announced, and his burial details are still unknown. Oh, that's that's sad, but I, I respect that. I think his family kept it a secret. I don't think he's got no more grave, but I just think they don't want fans coming there and, like, taking LSD on his grave or something. Yeah, no, I, I could completely understand that, because especially with him having had so much negative outcomes because of all that stuff. I could see young kids being like, oh, Rocky Erickson, 13 floor elevator. I'm going to get so fucked up on LSD on his grave and just writhe around. And like, that is disrespectful to the actual spirit of his memory. Right, because exactly. That's, because that, sh doesn't, that shows you don't didn't understand his actual storyline at all. You just want to masturbate to the fucking drug culture of it. Right. And honestly... Let him fucking rest. You know, he... Yeah, leave whatever. people's graves alone. Like, yeah. If, like, if, if they're having a marked grave, you are allowed as a musician to purchase them a gravestone. After that, leave people's fucking graves alone. Like, yeah, let his memory... Like, just because of how hard his life was, his family was just like, you know what? Let's give him some peace and calm for once. 
Yeah, and I, I, I actually agree with that a lot. And so I think it's about time for final thoughts. All right. Well, you want me to you want me to strike out first? Uh, you've been doing some first lately, so let All me right, go ahead. Because I, one of us is going to do the dare message, so I assume it's going <laughs> to be you then. No, I was going to say, if you have schizophrenia, take your goddamn medication. Just fucking do it. Like, it sucks that you got schizophrenia. It's not fair, but just deal with it, you know, because, like, it's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for your family. It's going to be better for your friends. Take care of yourself. You can still make music and not be crazy. You can still make kick-ass music and not be crazy. That's all I got. I mean, short, simple message, really. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, ironically enough, my message is not that far off of yours, but uh, just tuned in a different way. Uh, For anybody who's out there who is under the misconception of uh, believing that being high or drunk or needing some sort of crazy drug to do your art, and you feel hinged on that, uh, you're doing it wrong. Because art is literally not about some other chemical creating art for you. It's about your brain creating art. There's nothing wrong with, you know, getting stoned, smoking a joint every once in a while, or drinking a beer, or doing whatever. Honestly, like, I'm not I'm not super judgmental about how people spend their time. No, but and you really, we're not trying to judge. We're just kind of giving you a warning. Yeah, because if you have to create something, like as an artist, if you have to create something and it requires you to have some sort of chemical fuel in your brain for you to create that art, you should understand that that art loses your, you lose your ownership over that art because you didn't really create that. You, Buddy Holly did. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. You didn't create that art because Buddy Holly sent it to you from heaven. And the rest you stole. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm being honest here. Like, I have ran to so many musicians, and I've played with a lot of musicians in my time who had this misconception. And I think even at the time, like, I was under some various shade of it. Like, I was in multiple bands that were, uh, like, you know, very drunkenly oriented. And, you know, this just kind of leading towards that, that classic, you know, uh, I don't know rounder kind of folk music you know what i mean like yeah you know, you know drunkard drunkard yeehaw like, you know, <laughs> like i and, and that theme is all great and the, the the themes around these kind of cultures are great like psychedelic music is cool and it is very awesome but that art was not created by the drug that art was created by the people and you shouldn't need that it should be an inspiration so there should be a difference and a separation there for everybody Well, and one thing that I could have touched on, but, you know, I already knew I had a long-ass episode. Tommy Hall, the guy who, you know, inspired the whole LSD stuff behind the 13th floor elevators, he kind of used LSD to manipulate the rest of the band. Well, of course he did. Most people who, I don't know, I guess slang is the best term, like, you know, the the drug uh, pilfers and the the peddlers, they often use that as a source of control because it's never just about money. Well, right. And the most famous example of that is Charles Manson. Oh yeah. Yeah. By far. That's, that's definitely the most, uh, the most extreme, uh, example of it. Maybe uh, infamous is a better yeah, I term. Guess, I guess infamous is the best term there, but either way, like, I don't know, just, just people, it, there's nothing wrong with doing certain things or any real like specific thing for experience. Yeah. We're not, 
uh, anti-drug people at all, but yeah. there's an excessive point to everything that is no longer beneficial. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to do LSD and then be inspired by that experience, there is literally nothing in the world wrong with that. If you require LSD to make the music you make, you are not making that music. The LSD is making that music. Well, that that even goes for just pot. I know people who are like, I can't play unless I'm stoned. Yeah, and that's it's stupid. Like, how can you not play when you're not stoned? Like, I play stoned or sober or with a couple drinks in me, you know? It's just, sometimes you just, you know, you got to play around with your mental ability a little bit, but not enough to go fucking crazy. Yeah, no, exactly. And and that's really, like, the, the separation between knowing, like, what it is to be completely sober and then have a little bit of something in your system, that point of view is what makes it enjoyable, and so often people lose that so quick because they no longer have the perspective of what it's like to be sober and do their thing. You know what I mean? Well, right. And both you and me know several sober musicians whose music is fucking killer. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Some of the, like, the, the best musicians I know are habitually sober. Yeah. Because they have, you know, they just typically spend more time on technique. Well, and then they realize along the way, at some point, the drugs affected the way their music sounded. And so then they just went completely sober and their music's better now than it ever was. Yeah, exactly. And that's not even necessarily an anti-drug sentiment. It's an anti-dependent sentiment. It doesn't, exactly. It doesn't matter what you do and you can have everything you want in any way you want. And I'm never going to judge you, at least on a personal level. But the reality is, even, like I said, water. You can abuse water, bro. Inject don't, it straight into the vein. Yeah, don't get don't get too hydrated, you know, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's just take care of yourselves out there. We we're out here sharing music history with you guys because we care about music and we care about what it like the inspirations and the threads in the future. And by proxy, that means every musician out there we care about because you could be up there, uh, you know, forming our next episode, you know, in your hopefully not drug addled state. And if you're looking to be inspired by people doing something not completely fucked up on drugs, keep listening to this episode. Please share it with your friends. Yeah, you know, give us stars on stuff. We like stars. We like stars. And we like you to check out our Spotify, too. Yeah, yeah we, we haven't really mentioned it as much because it's kind of like a... a I don't know, an obvious thing for us because we do these episodes. But if you don't know, we uh, we do Spotify playlists and they're in the description of the episode every week. And you like you don't have to do anything. You just click on it and you go to the playlist and you can listen to the whole playlist yeah, you, for all the or all the songs we mentioned. You could literally just go to that right afterwards and listen to what we were talking about. Yeah, me personally, I, I mean, obviously, I'm on this show, so it's kind of not the same. But when I review the episodes when they come out every week, I also listen to all the, the songs afterwards as kind of a, uh, you know, like a... like Reference. A, yeah, a single playlist kind of thing, because I find that neat. And Or you, know, you could even pause the episode go to our spotify and listen to the song we just talked about yeah if you're if you're really thorough and you or even if you just want to understand the jokes we're making because sometimes we make jokes before you guys get to hear the <laughs> songs we understand that you'll get them later but you know it's how you listen uh but honestly most of all uh welcome to season five and we love you thank you for listening good night good night